Merry Christmas. Before we read the scripture, um, I want to take this opportunity to say what a gift it is to me, a gift to me, to have the joy of serving as pastor of this congregation. And I want to take uh, a moment to commend you, this congregation. It has biblical precedent, the Apostle Paul and John, likewise, commended the congregations with whom they corresponded for their unity in faith and their fruitful ministry. And I think it's appropriate um, that you, this, you, be, you be commended. I'm, I'm so thankful for your growth in grace, the unity of faith that we enjoy, um, and the, the, the spirit of Uh, belonging and peace that we have together here. And in this last quarter of the year, we've had some um, extraordinary opportunities to minister to the community in general and to bereaved families. I'd like to say a special word of thanks um, to the fellowship and reception committees who have served so willingly and so beautifully, Um, to the chancel committee for beautiful way they have uh, adorned the sanctuary and other uh, parts of the uh, church facility, to to Ruth for her leadership in music, the elders and the deacons, um, the ushers, the men who, uh, when called upon, just rallied together and made themselves available to do whatever was necessary. So it's a great joy. It's It's a great joy to serve as your pastor and to serve alongside my abundantly gifted colleague in pastoral ministry, Jonathan Wagner. Very thankful. So that's, I give thanks, and I commend you, the congregation, and if you're visiting today, as as Jonathan has already invited you, we'd, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a member of Covenant Presbyterian Church. Well, let's pray now before we read God's holy and inerrant word. Our Father, we rejoice in you. You are the God of our salvation, and in grace and mercy and sovereign power you have come to save. By the word made flesh. And so, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us afresh, and we ask that you would illumine our minds, enlighten the eyes of our hearts, grant us grace to believe the good news and live as new people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us hear the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is known as the prologue to the gospel. It's that great opening section of the gospel. It's it's like a, uh, a grand overture of a great work of music. 
that sets the tone and the theme, you know, or in a musical score of a movie, you know, you hear it in the background coming in various points. Well, this is the, this is the great opening prologue of the Gospel of John. Let us hear the word of the living God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Last night we read from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and I said that I, I think that it is, in my opinion, perhaps the most beautiful piece of literature in the English language. Well, the opening passage of the Gospel of John is among the most majestic, magnificent passages in all of Holy Scripture. This is... The Christmas story according to John. We sometimes hear it said, well, the Gospel of John doesn't have a Christmas story. Oh, yes, it does. We, we just read the Christmas story according to John. It begins in the beginning. First three words of the Gospel of John. In the beginning. Now, that ought to capture our attention. It's the sort of opening line which ought to make the lights flash and the bells ring in our minds, so to speak. You've heard it before, haven't you? In the beginning. It's an echo. Very deliberate. Intended to bring to mind the very first words of the very first verse of Holy Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by using that phrase, in the beginning, very intentionally, very deliberately, as the opening phrase of his gospel, the Apostle John 
by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to get the point that what he is writing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is all about a new creation. John wants us to see the coming of Jesus Christ into the world as God's work of new creation. John wants us to see the coming of Jesus Christ into the world as God's way of creating a new heavens and a new earth, making all things new, including us, new creatures in Christ, born again, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of his spirit through Jesus Christ. Now, to make this point, John wrote, in the beginning was the word. Now, that statement calls to mind the truth as is written in Hebrews chapter 11, that the universe was created by the word of God. Back now to Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, and God said, and God said. In the beginning, God spoke creation into existence by the power of his word. He spoke into being the things that were not. In the first century context in which John was writing, however, there was another concept of the word which was prevalent in that culture. It was a concept of Greek philosophy about the word, which in Greek is the logos. In Greek philosophy, the logos, the word, was the central unifying principle of the universe. Even then, the philosophers and intellectuals of the first century understood that there was, there was something that held all things together. The secret of the universe. Why there is something and not nothing. And why the something of the universe in all of its vast array holds together, doesn't fly apart, doesn't implode in on itself. You know, it's still a question today, and the, the physicists, the astrophysicists of our day are still searching for that something which holds all things together. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians tells us, who, it's not a thing, it's not a what, it's not a principle of physics, it's a who, Jesus Christ, in whom all things hold together. Well, you see, the Greek philosophers of the first century speculated that behind the universe, holding it together, governing the universe, was this central unifying principle of the logos, a principle of reason, rationality, which was behind the existence of all things. 
holding all things together. So in his cultural context, first century, writing for both Jews who understood the word of God to be the creative power of God and the Greeks who understood it to be this principle of unifying reason that holds all things together. John puts these two things together, but he reveals, you see, that the word is not merely God's creative power, as in the Hebrew way of thinking, nor is it this impersonal or philosophical abstraction in the Greek way of thinking. John wants us to know that the word is a living person, a divine, eternal person the second person of the Trinity. So for both the Jew and the Greek of the first century for us today, John tells us that the Word is the eternal Son of God who has always eternally existed and lived in fellowship with God the Father. He was with God in the beginning and he was God in the beginning equal in power and glory with God the Father. The Trinity is in this passage. God the Father, eternal. God the Son, eternal. God the Spirit, eternal. And this is the mystery of Christmas. The eternal Son of God united himself with human nature, yet without sin for our salvation. Now, I know that this is, especially on Christmas morning, this is deep, this is heavy, but that's okay, dear friends, because God is deep and heavy. Okay? Right. So what's the practical application? The practical application is simply this. Take some time. Carve out some time this week. After all the activity and frivolity and triviality of the holidays, take some time to meditate on the deepness and the heaviness and the holiness of God. Fall down in wonder and praise in the contemplation of his eternal nature having no beginning. Find yourself at the limits of human speech and understanding. Marvel at the mystery of the divine fellowship of the Trinity. Eternal love without beginning. And then rejoice. Rejoice in believing that this infinite, eternal, all-glorious, triune God, one God in three persons, three persons in one God, united in everlasting love, this God beyond your comprehension is common to the world to make himself known to you, reveal his grace and truth to you, to save you from your sins so that you might not perish and have everlasting life. Why did God become man? Because God created man to live before him in perfect righteousness to reflect his glory. But man 
Our first father, Adam, failed and plunged us into sin and death. God became man, the second Adam, Jesus, to live the life we were created to live and called to live in righteous obedience to the Father in unbroken fellowship. And he did that on our behalf to restore to us what we lost. But because we had lost it and we had sinned against God, and the curse upon Adam was death, and the curse upon Adam's posterity was death because of sin, and the curse of death was upon us, then the man had to die. The man had to die. Remember what Pilate said when he brought Jesus out? Beaten, battered, bleeding. Behold the man. That's right. Behold the second Adam. The one who has come to represent all humanity. And die under the curse of death. For us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became man because only man could die a human death. God became man because God, only God could overcome death. I had to put the two things together. A man who could die for all humanity, and a God who could overcome death for all humanity. In union with Christ. Well, this to the Greeks was the foolishness of the gospel. That the word would become flesh. Hear about this in the Apostle Paul. Foolishness. That the infinite and eternal divine spirit would choose to dwell among us as human flesh and blood. This was the foolishness of the gospel. That the all-glorious eternal word would plunge himself into the filth and ruin of this world with divine love for humanity, it is still the question which people ask every day. Does God care? Does God really care? The gospel of Jesus Christ answers that question by saying, the Word became flesh. How do we speak of the infinite, invisible, immortal, and eternal God who has no beginning and no end? How do we speak of him as being born, as being embodied, as coming into the world in human flesh and bone? But as mysterious as it is that God would become a man, even more mysterious is the sort of man that God did become. He was not born of human royalty, at least not in the immediate family. He was no pampered prince. He was wrapped in strips of cloth, laid in a feeding trough, soon had to be carried away into exile in Egypt for the protection of his life. The word became flesh, and when he did, he demanded no special privileges for himself. He made no special providential arrangements for his own earthly comfort, not even on the night of his birth when he was most weak and most vulnerable, nor at any time in his life. The word became flesh and subjected himself fully to the sufferings and harsh, cruel realities of this world, 
This is what Christmas is all about. The infinite, eternal, all-glorious Son of God came into the world to unite Himself with us that we might be united with Him, in union with Him, be filled with His life to live forever in the fellowship, in fellowship with Him and His Father in the bond of the Holy Spirit. He came into the world to draw us into that fellowship of everlasting love within the life of the divine trinity. That you got to you got to kind of pause on that one. He came into the world to unite us with himself through faith by the work of the holy spirit we are united with Christ, the eternal word. We are in him. We are in Christ. We are his. We belong to him. And, and, and in him, we are drawn into that fellowship of unbroken fellowship of everlasting love. Of the divine trinity. But that comes only by the cross. The word became flesh. Christmas points to the cross. The invisible eternal one became flesh. Flesh which would sweat, burn, bleed. Flesh bruised and broken, flesh pierced by nails and sword, flesh crucified for you and me. He conquered death by his death to bring us into that everlasting life. But again, this is the scandal of the gospel. Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews because they could not imagine a crucified Messiah. Foolishness to the Greeks. They could not imagine that God would condescend so low as to clothe himself with human flesh and blood. It is the scandal of the gospel today because the world does not want to acknowledge that the one and only true and living God That there is one and only true and living God and that he has indeed made himself known by coming into the world in history in a particular person who was born and lived at a particular place and time and did a particular act on behalf of all those who would believe in him, namely die and rise again. The world much prefers a more general vague, unknown God. You know, if you can't really know God, then you can't really be in, you know, accountable to him. Ah, a God who has many faces to suit the varying ideas and philosophies of fallen man, a much more comfortable God. The world refuses to say that Jesus Christ is God of God, light of light. Very God of very God. Because to do so would be to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the only Lord and only Savior, the only one who is due our worship and honor and praise. But John tells us in this passage that to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Through Jesus Christ. He came into this world of darkness and death to give life, new life, new birth to all who would receive him. He came into the world to begin his work of the new creation. New life, new birth to those who believe that we might become new creatures in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. To receive Christ is to welcome him, to to embrace him as the Lord and master of your life, to honor him with your life, to depend on him, to trust in him, to worship him as the Son of God and as your Savior. To believe in his name is to place your hope, your faith, your trust, your confidence in who he is, the eternal Son of God who has come into the world as man to give you life, eternal life. God so loved the world which he get, that he gave his only begotten Son. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus Christ has revealed to us the word made flesh. That the true and living God is indeed a God of love. But not sentimental love which is nothing but emotion. But rather self-sacrificial love. Which pours itself out in blood, sweat and tears unto death. This is the gospel of Christmas. The word became flesh. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior. And we pray this day that more than ever before, we would have a deep sense of the wonder of your love and fall down before him who is Lord of all and offer him the worship and adoration and obedience of our hearts to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. So we say together the Nicene Creed, which affirms the union of the two natures of Christ, human and divine, in his one person. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, 
Very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For us under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Angels, we 